Welcome to Beyond the Board, a podcast that explores the themes and real-life inspirations behind our favorite games. On today's episode of Beyond the Board, we'll be discussing the game Boss Monster. Boss Monster is a dungeon-building card game designed by Johnny and Chris O'Neill and published by Brotherwise Games in 2013. Boss Monster is for 2-4 to four players and a typical game takes 20 minutes to play. The theme of today's episode is our top 10 favorite villains from video games. Enjoy the episode! Hey, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Mike Riemann. And I'm Spencer Campbell. Yes, you are. And this is Beyond the Board. And this week, we're talking about the game Boss Monster. Boss Monster. Uh, Boss Monster is a it's a card game, first of all. Mm-hmm. It's a dungeon-building card game, but not like a lot of the dungeon-building games that are very popular these days, where you're laying down tiles and building a dungeon and moving through it together. You're actually building your own unique dungeon set in a video game-themed world. Yeah, so all the art on uh, all the cards are very 8-bit pixelated, like your old classic boss monsters and and old classic video games. But the interesting dynamic in this game is you are the boss monster, and you're building your dungeon to keep heroes from getting to you. Yeah, you are. It's it's a switch. You are now playing the villain and trying to build the deadliest but most enticing dungeon to lure in adventurers and claim their lives and become top boss monster. Top boss. So how does it work? You there's a, a whole bunch of different decks in this game, but the very first thing that you need to do is figure out which boss you are. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, a stack of you know 15 ish bosses in the box and. They're very, they're they're kind of very tongue in cheek in terms of pointing you in the direction of oh, this is kind of like the Bowser equivalent mm-hmm. in the deck and various Nintendo, Super Nintendo, early video game bosses, and you randomly just dis- distribute, shuffle it up, or pick the boss that you want. Mm-hmm. And each boss has uh, symbols on them that uh, help you entice certain kind of heroes coming in from the town. And then as you build your your um, your dungeon, which you have from a hand of cards, there's a certain system that where when you can place the dungeons, but you can only have five rooms before it comes to you. And you can stack the rooms in a way to where they hit the same room at the same time, uh, and it has like multiple things that happen to come to it. But each room also has enticing symbols as well. So by what I mean by that is you have your dungeon in front of you, with your boss monster. And then in the middle of the table are the heroes in the town. And the heroes could be like a thief, and he's drawn to dungeons with money. Mm-hmm. Or it could be uh, a hero that's a wizard or uses magic. They're drawn to magic dungeons. Um, or a priest, and they'll have a little ankh, like a healer kind yeah. of thing. And they're drawn to those healing kind of dungeons. Yeah, so you you build up your dungeon. It's a, it's a series of rooms that either have some sort of damage value that they do to heroes or some sort of trap that is triggered when the the hero goes through and they affect the hero as they go room by room through your dungeon. And so like Mike said, you get about you get 5 rooms max and you're you're building up a hand of of rooms for the dungeon. You're you're placing them, constructing them, and then the heroes come in. And yeah, it it's a competition, really, to try and entice the most adventurers to your dungeon. If I see that Mike has a bunch of rooms that have swords on them, I know he's trying to entice the fighter adventurer type into his dungeon. And it's maybe not worth it for me to play a bunch of swords because how it works is whoever has the most of an enticing symbol in their dungeon, that's where the adventurers will go. So if I only have three swords and Mike has four swords in his dungeon, then all the adventurers, all those fighters are going to go into Mike's dungeon. So I want to pick something different 
bring in the mages, bring in the thieves towards my dungeon. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, there are some cards that let you uh, play rooms in other people's dungeons to build theirs out, and you can attract maybe a more powerful hero that will get to the boss monster in somebody else's dungeon. So if they're attracted to books for the for the, for the mage, um, I can throw a book in, dungeon, in Spencer's dungeon to make sure that that mage will go to him and will beat his monster. But as the heroes go through the dungeon, they lose their hit points. When their hit points are done, they're dead, you get experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the way to win is you you gain those uh, experience points and you keep them onto the side. But if they get to you, you lose a heart and you have um, certain health points uh, as well. And then if you lose all your hearts, you die. But then the object is to get to uh, a certain number of experience in the game. Yeah, so... Kill the most adventurers, pull in and entice the most adventurers into your dungeon, kill them all, and be top boss monster. Yeah. And you're, so you're antagonistically building rooms and throwing spells at one another while also trying to maintain your own dungeon. And it's really, it's just, it's nice having the the 8-bit, 16-bit, you know, SNES, NES era style kind of homages in all of the cards. Yeah, and they're all tongue-in-cheek, like you said, mm. and they're they're kind of clever. So it's 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 a lot of fun. And there's there's two separate versions, Boss Monster and Boss Monster 2. And they came out with Boss Monster 2 with all updated rules, uh, right? Yeah, I highly recommend getting the, the updated version instead of the previous version because the updated version has improved rules, and then you can... If you really like it, you can go back and buy the Boss Monster 1 pack and incorporate those cards into your kind of updated rule system. But you want to buy boss the kind of the updated version of Boss Monster to get the the improved and enhanced rule system. Because mm-hmm. it makes it a lot more smoother and not so choppy. Yeah. Um, but since we are talking about Boss Monsters, today I think we're going to talk about boss monsters and bosses or villains that you sympathize with uh, in a lot of video games. Yeah, I mean, we're the boss monster in this game, so we're cheering for the villain when we're playing boss monster. So we thought we would put together our own personal lists of sympathetic villains that we maybe have a special place in our hearts from video games specifically. And yeah, we're going to just kind of rapid fire through this. It should be important to note, we are talking about video games here, and... Inherently, that means that there's going to be spoilers in this podcast. Especially since we're talking about, like, the villain, the boss man. So we might mention, well, this boss is on this island, and you find out that he's actually a woman and your best friend. So something that could happen. And so we don't want to give away any spoilers. So if we mention a game right off the bat, skip about a minute or two into it, and we'll get to the next one if you care that much. Yeah, like, we're rapid-firing, so it's not like we're going to have a 10-minute discussion about each boss, but, yeah. Skip a couple of minutes, save yourself the headache. We're ju- we know we're jumping from very old school games to some pretty recent stuff, so mm-hmm. we're gonna run the gamut here. All right, so we'll, we'll let Spencer start off this gambit. Okay, sure. Um, so my very first one is from one of my very favorite games of all time. It's Sarah Kerrigan, aka the Queen of Blades from StarCraft. Did you ever play StarCraft? I I played StarCraft two. Okay. So I was a huge Brood War fan back in the day. Played StarCraft, played StarCraft 2 obsessively, watched all the professionals. But Sarah Kerrigan is in the story part of it. And she's basically what's called a ghost. Uh, they're these sort of spec ops, assassiny people. She has this cool cloaking and like a sniper rifle. You know, they send her in for assassination and high-tech stuff. And eventually, Sarah gets... Well, first of all, she had a really rough childhood. Her psionic abilities manifested, and she killed her mom, did severe brain injury to her dad, 
She was, like, captured, brought into a psionic training facility, forced to go through this horrible training to become a super assassin. Poor Sarah. She does all of this. She gets sent off on a mission to try and stop this invading alien race. She has to leave behind this thing that'll hopefully, like, lure all of them into one location so that they can kind of, like, nuke it and take care of them. And she gets left behind. And it's this big problem. Like, there's a conflict and, like, you know, they're yelling at each other. She gets left behind and then she gets turned into one of these aliens, one of the Zerg. And she ultimately becomes the ruler and leader of the Zerg and attacks humanity as a result of it. And there's, and that's what the ongoing story of StarCraft II is all about. But she's sympathetic in that she had this terrible psionic experience as a kid. And then after training and working, in, working hard to work with all these people, they abandon her and she becomes this horrible, monstrous villain as a result. Well, she holds a grudge, yeah. as, as she should. Exactly. I would as well. So, uh, Sarah Kerrigan, that's my first one on my list. All right, knocking off the list. Uh, all right, so the first one on my list is, uh, you might have heard of a little game called Mega Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and the villain in all the Mega Man series is uh, a guy named Dr. Wily. That's right. And uh, I like to think Dr. Wily, is a, I'm a little sympathetic towards him because he is... All he's trying to do is beat out Dr. Light. It's it's his rival. It's a rival situation. Like in Pokemon or any of those kind of games, you you have you have a rival and and his his main goal is to just beat out Dr. Light. I think it's also to take over the world. I th- it's almost <laughs> certainly to take over the world. But ultimately, there's that rival and and he he wants to be as smart as Dr. Light. This might be a bit of a stretch. I think, they, if I recall correctly, I think they might have been partners at some point in time. And, yeah. and they had differing mentalities of what to do with this robotech that uh-huh. they had been developing. And Light kind of, like, was afraid of the potential mm-hmm. and kind of, like, tried to reduce what they would be doing. And Wiley was like, no, let's put robots everywhere. Yeah, robots are going to rule everything. Yeah, we, we can we can take over the world with robots. Right. Uh, but it also follows in vain. If, I mean, if you played any of them, if you haven't, they're really difficult games, first yeah, of all. Uh, but they're also the 8-bit style. And mm-hmm. if you like that, that's very similar to Boss Monster. And I think that um, pays homage to... Definitely a Mega Man style thing. So if you have a robot or anything like that, totally. uh, but yeah, Doctor Wily's my my villain slash sympathetic villain, but mainly just a fun villain because mm-hmm. he's always he's always kind of wackadoo, but he'll always ask for forgiveness at the very end of every Mega Man. He'll beg for forgiveness, and then he does something really mean and bastardly, and he'll sure. throw a bomb at you or something. Classic. <laughs> but he'll classic always Wiley. ask for forgiveness. That's good one. That's a good one. I think there's something inside of him that there's something that he he regrets doing what he's doing. Exactly. So next up on my list, spoiler alert: if you haven't played the game Bioshock, the original Bioshock, there's a big thing. Skip ahead. This is a big thing. But my my sympathetic villain are the I guess two villains of the game: Andrew Ryan and Frank Fontaine. Andrew Ryan is this guy who created a a city called Rapture. It was this idea, this idyllic city that was built under the water where you bring in the highest intellectuals, the, the greatest artists, the, the, the cream of the crop, essentially, to a place and allow them the freedom to, to work on what they wanted to work on and to, to earn their keep based off of their own merit and everything like that. It was this kind of idyllic utopia sort of place that he was trying to build. The problem is when you do something like that, First of all, you're bringing in these really eccentric personalities, and that alone, and you stuff them all in an underwater city where they can't really go very far, you're going to start getting some clashing. And then a class system more or less broke out in the city called Rapture, and 
over time, eventually Rapture kind of unraveled and fell apart, and people lost their minds mm-hmm. from living down here, and these eccentrics kind of like went mad mm-hmm. with power. Well, they also discovered something called Adam, which yeah. which kind of messed with their brains, and they, they could do certain things with Adam, and it would make them feel good, but it also kind of give them these little powers. Yeah. Uh, and so they became obsessed with it, so much that, like, you can get it in vending machines. And, <laughs> and so there was this class struggle going on alongside this weird genetic mutation system, more or less, and Rapture fell to pieces. And so Adam, or Andrew Ryan, who had this idyllic dream, you eventually go... Because you're being told by someone on a, essentially like a walkie-talkie that he's the bad guy. Go kill him. You do. And then it ends up that the guy who had been manipulating the whole time, Frank Fontaine, was manipulating you. Andrew Ryan wasn't really as bad of a guy as he said. Frank had his own personal reasons for hating him. And then you go hunt down Frank Fontaine. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's he had good intentions, Andrew Ryan, in building Rapture. Take the highest of the highs, put them together, and see what they can build together. Mm-hmm. The problem is they couldn't escape kind of that social class problem, especially when you start putting in a gene-changing drug of sorts. And the uh, was it, there was a plastic surgeon who wanted to try to... He was an artist as well, mm-hmm. and so he started experimenting on people's faces and making them look ridiculous and terrifying. Yeah, there's, there's some pretty great characters in Bioshock. It's also pretty, really good uh, um, moments in Bioshock, like... I remember one where you're walking across, you're walking across a giant room with just water on the bottom, mm. and there's all these weird mannequins like in places. Mm. In a big empty room, though, you walk across, and then you turn around, and all of a sudden there's mannequins mm. in the middle of the floor, and you're like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> it's it's a really good. It's very atmospheric. Um, Bioshock Two, not yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah, it's, you just I can take it or leave it. Yeah. It's just like a continuation. Right. Um, okay, so my number. Two is uh, Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII. And if you don't uh, know who Sephiroth is, he is the big bad boy in one of the first Final Fantasy games that used the 3D polygon kind of system. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sephiroth was... He was actually injected as a fetus with a Genova cells. And Genova was this, this creature, this like almost mythical creature formed from the Earth... And they they injected sales from that into the fetus and so tried to create the super soldier. Mm-hmm. And he thought his goal was to take over the planet and possibly destroy the planet. And so that was his goal throughout the entire thing. But you learn all about this throughout the game, um, uh, more about his story. And every time I play the game, I learn more and more uh, But because uh, it's so in-depth. And you should play it sometime because you told me that you've never played it. I have it, and that never just played Final Fantasy VII. You've never Nor played any Final Fantasy besides game. Besides Tactics. I've played Tactics. Which is really disappointing because the stories in them are really good. Yeah, I know I would love them now. If I mm-hmm. went back and played them, I'm sure I would. Yeah. But young Spencer wasn't into the JRPGs. Unlike current Spencer, who would love that. <laughs> I'd eat that up. Well, they're going to recreate it for PlayStation uh uh, for so perfect yeah so you just play that one uh but he's he's a very sympathetic in into where he's he became part of the system even before he was actually born right um and and you can you can't really see it in him but you have all the other characters relating to his plight because they became soldiers and they were injected with like this stuff called mako energy and and they almost sympathize with him but at the same time he's kind of like no, no, this is my mission. I need to do this. And he's kind of almost malfunctioning in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when he just snaps and goes crazy and then merges himself with, like, the planet and becomes this ultimate, like, crazy being. Huh. Uh, it's it's pretty good. Cool. Sorry if there wasn't any spoilers. In no, that no, it's fine. <laughs> I love it. 
Uh, next on my list comes from one of my personal favorite games of all time, Borderlands. Mm. Uh, specifically, Borderlands 2 is when this villain shows up. It's Handsome Jack. Mm-hmm. Now, this would be a spoiler for me because I have not finished the game, but I'm okay with it. For the sake of the podcast, I will listen. I appreciate your sacrifice. <laughs> so Handsome Jack is the antagonist in this game called Borderlands. Basically, you're these badasses, these vault hunters, as you're called, on a, a planet called Pandora. And your whole goal is to just run around and collect sweet gun and loot and be a badass. The problem is there's this guy named Handsome Jack who runs one of these super galactic mega corporations who hates badasses like you. He hates Vault Hunters, and he wants you taken out. Uh, and so he's, from the very get-go, you don't really know why, but he just wants to kill you. He's just there to kill you. And it's a problem. And then you learn over time, especially in that game and then some of the following games, that Handsome Jack was... He was a guy who was doing his best in a company that just didn't really care for him one bit. And he was treated like crap. He was kind of ignored. He had a he got married and he had a wife. And when they had a, uh, a child, a daughter, of course, kind of similar to Sarah Kerrigan, that daughter had an eruption of probably some sort of like psionic energy. She's uh, one of these very few people called sirens in the galaxy. And... It's likely that she killed or hurt or ruined her mo- her mother and Jack's wife at some point in time. And Jack snapped as a result of that. He tried to encase his daughter to try and most likely, I mean, you see it as him harnessing her power to try and gain wealth from opening these various vaults on the planet. But it might be the case that intentionally in the beginning he was trying to protect her and protect other people from her because she was young she didn't know how to control her power and so she had potentially killed his wife and so he was a guy who he was a little guy working for a corporation that didn't care about him who was thrown into a crazy situation by having a daughter born who's one of six in an entire galaxy so his whole world gets thrown upside down and he kind of snaps as a result but then everybody snaps if you live on pandora long (laughs) enough and so it it makes sense why Jack became the absolute sarcastic monster that he is as he antagonizes you throughout the entirety of Borderlands 2. <laughs> uh, one of my favorites, he's a super great villain in general, and you learn a lot about him as you play Borderlands 2 and then the pre-sequel and then even the the story game Tales from the Borderlands. You get to learn a lot about Jack. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, he's he's kind of a jerk though. He's a, oh, he's as a far total as, jerk. As far as what I know, he's just a he's jerk. always been a jerk. <laughs> but there, there might be a reason for why he's a jerk. Uh, all right, so number six on our list, um, I have uh, Bowser, and I know you're like, wait a second, Bowser. He uh, he's a, he, he's absolutely a bad guy. He's absolutely a bad guy. However, um, and this might be a bit of a stretch, but also I just it just came to think about it, but. So he he's kind of a guy who does this repeated action and steals the princess in every game mm-hmm. you play. Uh, but he also doesn't really care and still kind of keeps a positive attitude even though you kill his cousins and his troops and his brothers. I think and the only person children. He, yeah, and his children. And you never you never really think about it, but like it, it makes you almost think that maybe Bowser has a problem, and maybe something is snapped in his brain, or maybe he's just really lonely, and that is the thing that he needs is he wants a wife, mm. and the thing that he thinks the only way he can get it is stealing her. Uh, and it made me think about: um, Did you ever play Super Mario RPG? No, I didn't. So that was a that was a role playing game. 
uh, for Super Nintendo called Super Mario RPG. And in Super Mario RPG, the villain is this giant sword that comes down and stabs Bowser's castle, mm-hmm. destroys the bridge, and kicks Bowser out. So eventually, Bowser's Bowser's running around with his little minions, but he eventually joins your team to get back the castle. Hmm. So because this this sword is trying to take over the entire land, Mario, Bowser, and a couple new people, and like even the princess, they all team up to beat this character. So you have Bowser on your team. So in a way, you're like, okay, he's not a terrible guy. He's not doing, I guess, terrible, terrible things. Uh, and Other he than just constri- conscripting his children into soldiers. In too. this game specifically, <laughs> he was he was helping out. So I think that balances out all the other terrible times. It's an interesting point that you make, though. Like his absolute obsession with a singular thing of mm. capturing the princess, and he, how that might be indicative of he, some underlying core problem yeah, with him. He or he might just be on the spectrum. Yeah, that could be. that could be a possibility. But they never really mentioned that with Bowser. Um, but he does have a little bit of a power-hungry kind mm-hmm. of craze. So, uh, but yeah, Bowser's definitely mine. That's I can sympathize him with sympathize with him for a little bit. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I yeah, can, go ahead and give me number seven. I can dig it. So number seven, this is a more recent game, The Last of Us. So again, spoiler: if you haven't played The Last of Us, it came out four-ish years ago. And so, The Last of Us is a dystopian future. Where a post kind of post apocalyptic future where there's a there's a thing called a cordycep uh, and it's actually a thing that exists in real life. It's a essentially like a fungus that plants itself into the brains of ants and zombifies them and controls them. I have seen that happen. It's it, terrifying. It's a very it's a very real thing. And the premise in this game is that cordyceps have evolved or adapted to be able to take over humans, and it's this sudden outbreak in cordyceps that are taking over humans so it's not quite a zombie game per se but these are zombified human beings who have lost control of themselves and are just acting on the impulses of these spores god that's a terrifying thing and you you (laughs) jump forward into the the game where the world is kind of just collapsed there's a few strongholds going on and you're you're playing the the guy who just wants to get by. that's all you want to do and you get thrown into this situation where suddenly you're escorting this this young girl who, it, 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 it's revealed that she has potentially the cure in her. She's resistant to the cordyceps virus. And so if, if something is done, if people are able to research her, a cure might be developed. We might be able to turn this back and actually take back the world and eliminate the cordyceps. And you're like, oh, that's cool. So I will slowly walk her essentially across the continent or across the country of the United States to Colorado to escort her and help her out. And there's this group called the Fireflies. And this is the, the group that I'm sympathetic towards. They, they're, they're doing their best. They want to cure this virus. And you get all the way out there and you think that you're helping them. You, you're really kind of just doing it for, for money. And eventually you kind of like learn that you like the girl. She's a, and maybe a replacement for your daughter that dies early in the game. But it's revealed to you that the only way that this cure can be extracted from her from the the young girl is by killing her essentially it's a it's a surgery where they need to remove her brain in order to study it so she will die that's a given and then what is not a given is that they will get the cure it's unknown whether or not it'll even be successful and so there's this moment where you as joel the the protagonist eventually decide no i'm too close to ellie i'm not gonna let them do this and you go in and you 
essentially kill all of the surgeons and doctors and scientists who are trying to just extract a cure. All they're trying to do is help the world. But the problem is it's not a guaranteed help and you don't see it's worth her life for the potential, you know, saving of the entire human race. And so you go in, you kill all... It's It was this very intense moment in the game <laughs> and it's it hits you where you're just like, wow, I you know, we made the decision to save one person because that was a guarantee as opposed to the chance of saving all of humanity. I can see why you sympathize with the group then. Yeah, you know, they're trying to do their best and the problem is the reason they're villains is they're, they're not exactly overt that that's what's going to happen. They're like, oh yeah, just bring her to California or to Colorado. We'll figure out a cure based off of her. It's only until you kind of get closer and you get there when they it's revealed to you that that's what they're going to do is they're going to they're going to have to kill her. Oh, God. So they're they're the villains in your character's eyes, but they're certainly sympathetic in that they're just trying to help humanity. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> God, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Okay, so number eight on our list. Um, there's a game called Shadow of the Colossus that came out for the PlayStation 2, mm-hmm. and it is a game where you are a character named Wander, and you have a, a girl that is dead, and her name is Mono. And she she's dead basically on this altar kind of table situation. And you find out that this disembodied spirit named Dorman um, is can actually bring back the dead. And so the only way he can do that is finishing a ritual. And the ritual, and he warns you that it's going to cost a, a great price, but the ritual is killing these 16 colossus or these giant creatures. Mm-hmm. And they're all in this land. And so the gameplay is you're, you're not actually running through and stomping on mushrooms and, and Goombas and all these other things. The only bad guys in here are these giant beasts. And some of them are super peaceful. And they're just kind of walking around. But you have to kill them. And you climb on their bodies and you and you stab them in the head. Or or some of them are a little bit more aggressive and they're trying to fight you back. Mm-hmm. And they there's one that swims around in the water. There's a couple that fly around in the air. But the object is to kill these creatures. And so the villain here... <laughs> is not necessarily the bosses right. like Boss Monster. I know these are technically bosses, mm-hmm. but we're talking about villains. Um, and so these bosses are huge, big creatures, but the monster is really sort of you. It is kind <laughs> of you, yeah. And so you're walking around, and you're and these creatures have never done anything to anybody, but but you're trying to kill them in order to save one uh, and the one you love. And, um, and so... Either you are the villain or this disembodied spirit is the villain. But the disembodied spirit says, hey, I can do this, but it's going to cost you. And so not only is it going to cost him by destroying these giant creatures, but it's also going to cost him because at the end of the game, it takes its life and Mm -hmm. they they suck him down into like a deep, dark hole. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a great game. That game was revolutionary in a whole bunch of for a whole bunch of reasons on the PS2. It's definitely worth going back and trying it the controls will be frustrating to you oh, absolutely sure. <laughs> if you're if you're used to modern controls but it's a very beautiful breathtaking game it's it's a great experience mm-hmm. and it's a good story too yeah it is yeah it's a real good story all right number nine so the last one on my list is this is more of a fun one if you've ever played super smash brothers you're probably just used to playing the game with your friends and playing competitively and everything like that. But there is actually a story to Super Smash Brothers. Super Smash Brothers is this Nintendo game where you play iconic characters from Nintendo like Mario and Link and Kirby, and you just fight each other. 
and it's it's a fighting game where you are classic Nintendo characters. But if you play the story, you play, you know, you pick a character and you go around and you're taking out all the other characters. And the last final boss is revealed to you to be a, a creature called Master Hand, which is this gloved hand that kind of like floats around in the sky and it swats at you on the stage and shoots lasers and like does all these kind of weird attacks on you. And it's it's kind of revealed to you that Super Smash Brothers, when you when you step back from it is a is a kid playing with their toys so all of the action figures that they're pulling out are you're playing as the action figures who are battling one another for the kids amusement and then suddenly the final boss is the toys fighting back and attacking the kid and taking out the hand which had given life to all of these toys and action figures and so the master hand comes out, and I think it even has like a maniacal laugh as it comes floating across. <laughs> but it it's kind of revealed that this is some kid's hand, and it's the kind of the toys fighting back. And so it's like that's my slightly sympathetic kind of fun. Do you ever think thought. that maybe it's the hand, and he knows the toys are fighting back, so he takes the toys and be like, probably and he's got his hand in the situation to I, make it look like they're fighting. That's what I have to hope is uh-huh. going on, and it's not some sort of, like, small soldier situation <laughs> where the toys have become sentient. Ah, what a good movie! They, they come back and actually fight the children. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or, like, uh, or even Toy Story. Yeah. I guess. But at least they play dead when the kids are around. Not Sid. That's true. Next our neighbor. <laughs> We're always watching. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's my last one. What's what's our what's our final sympathetic so, villain? So the one that take us out, and I'm pretty sure everyone's heard of this game. It's a little game called Centipede. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious where this is gonna go. So um, I wanted to find a game that was uh, that like people were like, wait a second, Centipede. Like that that couldn't possibly have any sort of sympathy. There's not even a story, is there? Well, Atari came out with a comic book that actually explained <laughs> the reasons behind Centipede. Okay. And so when you look at Centipede right off the bat, you're like, okay, you have this little ship at the bottom, and you're mm-hmm. shooting up at these mushroom or this centipede trying to come down and spiders. Mm-hmm. And when you shoot them, they turn into mushrooms. Uh, and so you're like, okay, blasty, blasty, I've got to stop the centipede from coming down. Sure. So Daria came out with this comic book that explains everything. Your ship is actually a little elf, and his <laughs> name is Oliver. Oh. And Oliver runs back and forth, and he's got a magic wand. Okay. And there's this evil wizard. Uh, and so, I was sorry, Oliver runs around in the forest with his friends, the centipede, the spider, uh-huh. and uh, the flea. And they're all friends in the forest, and he's just running around. But there's this evil wizard that wants Oliver's magic wand. And so uh, the evil wizard puts a spell on the centipede, the flea, and the spider, and gets them to come after you and steal your magic wand. Okay. And so your synth- your centipede is actually your really good friend. And in the comic books, he's like riding on the centipede, and the centipede's all super happy. Don't make happy. me do this. Yeah, don't make me do this. <laughs> So the magic wand isn't killing your friends, it's turning them into mushrooms. A and far that's better why, fate. <laughs> and that's why they turn into mushrooms, because he's not trying to kill his friends, uh, and and so that's why they're not just blown sure. up or anything. And the centipede's after your magic wand because of this evil wizard. There so you, go. you can see it's a little, you're, you don't want to kill the centipede. So the one thing that uh, I was reading about was that they, they specifically didn't put in any... Uh, well, I mean, they wrote the comic afterwards, so I don't think they were thinking about it before. They probably were thinking it was a ship, but um, 
but the one the one little thing I was reading was they didn't really animate little pixelated tears as the elf was shooting <laughs> at his friends and turning them into mushrooms. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so sorry. Please don't. Oh, Oliver, you said his name Oliver was? Oliver. No, poor the Oliver. Name. Yeah, poor Oliver. That's pretty good. I didn't know that. I mean, that was a huge thing with... Back in the day with those like Atari and NES games, you mm. would get these booklets printed with the, you know, when they back when they had game manuals. Yeah. And it was not actually usually the design company that wrote the manuals that had like the stories. Someone else was responsible for it. And so they would just have the craziest backstories added into games. Yeah, because I think Donkey Kong also has one of those crazy backstories. Yeah, with it. it's just someone's whim of what they think <laughs> Mario 2 is supposed to represent. And then they write a short blurb about it. So I'm like, I guess. <laughs> That's pretty fun. Yeah. Good, good choices, Mike. So these are our top ten. Uh, I hope you uh, learned something or maybe brought in some nostalgia, uh, just like Boss Monster is made to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you guys will go back and play some games, and you need to play Final Fantasy VII for I sure. Do. Well, if you don't got anything else uh, or any more comments on my top ten and or five, and I don't got anything. Five. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast today. If you have any questions or comments, or if you want to let us know what your favorite sympathetic boss monster is, uh, shoot us an email. We like emails. Uh, shoot us an email at beyondtheboardpodcast at gmail.com, or you can follow us on uh, Twitter or Instagram uh, at goingbtb. That's goingbtb. BTB stand, standing for beyond the board or bosses that bleed? Sure. <laughs> or blow up. Yeah, there you Depending go. on the, uh, the graphics. Uh, that's at goingbtb on Twitter and Instagram. Um, or if you guys want, you can subscribe, which would be really nice, and then you'd get uh, a new episode every week, um, Sunday nights, Monday mornings, uh, and uh, and leave us a review. We like being reviewed. I love it. Love it. Cheap. Love it. I mean, you review games. Why not review a podcast, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. And just remember, if you've got a magic wand and you're in the forest with your friends and a wizard turns all your friends against you, aim at the wizard. 